This is Awareness Explorers. Well, welcome, fellow Awareness Explorers. This is Brian Tom O'Connor, and I'm here with my co-host, Jonathan Robinson. And today we're doing something different because I'm going to be interviewing Jonathan about his new book, The Enlightenment Project. And I'm very excited to talk about it. It just came out in Kindle and paperback, and uh, we're going to find out all about it. But first, how are you doing today, Jonathan? I'm doing good. This is my third interview about the book so far today. So um, enjoying it. I just started that today, and uh, it's really fun. Great. How did the others go? Really well, surprisingly well. You know, there's so much, so many interesting stories in the book because, you know, I've interviewed now 100 spiritual leaders. And it's fun to revisit that. It's fun to talk about the techniques and the lessons keeps it alive for me. And hopefully it inspires and is useful to other people. Well, yes, I hope so, too. And I'm pretty sure it is going to be. Um, but first, I just want to ask you about the title, The Enlightenment Project, and two questions about it. Why is it called The Enlightenment Project? And maybe, first of all, what is enlightenment? Uh-huh. Um, well, first, the, the book title, you know, there was a book that came out in 2011 called The Happiness Project, in which uh, the author Gretchen Rubin talked about taking a year to focus on positive psychology methods to see what worked and what didn't. And I realized I've kind of been doing that for the last, you know, 50 years or so, where I, um, you know, busy trying to find out what in the enlightenment space, non-duality space, whatever you want to call it, works, what doesn't, what are the myths, what's really true. And, you know, it was kind of a hobby of meeting 100 spiritual leaders ranging from Mother Teresa to the Dalai Lama and just finding out what they are like, what their lives are like. Uh, I share a bunch of gossip in the book about, you know, what it's like meeting some of these people. And what I wanted to do is, you know, I, I've had the good fortune to, to learn a lot. And I thought I'd put it all in one book and hopefully it would be really useful to other people and they wouldn't have to spend 50 years uh, doing the same thing I did. But your, your second question was, what is enlightenment? Um, I, I like Adyashanti's definition. He says, enlightenment is perceiving without the lens of the ego. That's a very simple definition. Um, another definition is when you shift your identity from your ego personality to either what you might call your soul or consciousness or awareness. And I think everybody's had moments of that, but it's very different when that starts to be a major shift in your life or when you are so shifted into an identity as awareness that you don't feel like the old character uh, is there anymore. You know, one of the, the ways I, <laughs> I kind of make the shift really quickly, I have obviously, you know, from this podcast and the interviews, um, a lot of methods, but one of my favorites is, can I see through the Jonathan character? Can I see through the role I'm playing right now and into that there's an awareness here, there's a spaciousness here, and 
some some characters working through that space. Well, I love the term the Jonathan character, and I think that's really useful. But some people have the impression that when you become enlightened, that your ego disappears and the Jonathan character or the Brian character disappears and goes away. And that is actually frightening to some people. Uh, what would, does it really go away or does it need to? Well, certainly hasn't for me. You know, that's a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it does in some people, you know, uh, but that's not necessarily a good thing. That might, the ego or a sense of ego can be very useful in the world. So I, I think of it like, you know, we live in two channels. So channel two, where there's me and there you, there's you, there's inside, there's outside, there's good and bad, right and wrong, blah, blah, blah. And then there's channel one. In channel one, everything is connected. It all emanates from a mystery of awareness and consciousness. And it's really nice to have two channels in this world because channel two is pretty friggin', you know, screwed up most of the time. <laughs> and channel one is always peaceful and everything's connected. So, you know, once I realized that and I was a depressed, suicidal teenager, and I realized there was another channel to tune into. The question became, how can I get there as quickly as possible and as often as possible? Not that channel two is bad. It's just that, you know, two channels and two heads are better than one. Well, I love that analogy. And as a matter of fact, channel two can be probably very useful, especially if you know that at any time you wanted to, you can switch to channel one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How has channel one helped bring you out of depression and suicidal tendencies? Well, you know, I can still get depressed. I don't have any suicidal thoughts anymore. But it's very different being depressed when you think that, you know, Jonathan or whoever you are is depressed versus, oh, there's sadness going through an open field of awareness right now. And that's a very different experience. There's not a heaviness or a, a feeling of hopelessness or a feeling that it's even going to go on for very long. It's just now. And the now in five seconds from now might be very different. Whereas when you're kind of like in depression, there's a sense like there's a character that's been depressed, that will be depressed, that's going to be depressed for a long time. And it's really heavy and terrible. And, and there's no way out of it. So in the real world, the world that we live in of now, plus now, plus now, plus now, plus now, and we never visit the future, and we never have been in the past life is very simple and much more peaceful and the possibility of joy and peace is so much easier to establish even if you're not enlightened which i don't consider myself but you know it's like everything's moving and changing and and it's nice to have another channel sometimes it sounds like a kind of a shift in identity where you're experiencing it from as the as the Jonathan character, or as the Brian character, or as the larger field of awareness. And it seems like, it sounds to me, what you're saying is when you can make that shift, then the experience of your emotions don't seem so horrible, or don't seem like they even shouldn't be there. Yeah, and it's like taking off a very heavy backpack. Right. 
quite a relief, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. To the extent that I can do that, which is, you know, I have my good moments and my bad moments. Well, but uh, but, uh, knowing that it's only just a second or a slight effort away is really hopeful and, and makes life a lot more pleasant. Yeah, I'm with you there. One thing I noticed about your book is that you, especially towards the beginning, you talk a lot about your experience with the finders course and that a mm-hmm. lot of uh, your ideas and, and methods uh, come from there. Could you talk a little bit about your experience of that and how that informs the book? Yeah, you know, I, I was with a spiritual teacher for 26 years and I had explored a few other things. I thought I knew like every method out there, but Dr. Jeffrey Martin in the finders course, you know, said you can learn a bunch of methods. What he did is very similar to what I did. He's He interviewed a lot of awakened people and said, what is your best method for getting there? And it ends up, I didn't know a lot of these methods and they are really great. And I describe a bunch of them in the Enlightenment Project book. And you can take his course, which costs, you know, a bunch of money. Uh, It's a great course. But I want these methods to be out there to a larger audience for people who don't necessarily have the two hours a day to take his course or the, you know, a thousand bucks or whatever it is to take his course, that these methods should be available to everyone. And, you know, there's a certain percentage of people that will try a certain method and immediately it just makes their head explode. And, you know, they can't believe how, how did I not know this? Uh, that's not everybody, but if you try enough things from the finders course or from my book, you usually find something that, wow, that worked surprisingly well. And you know, Brian, that I'm a lazy slob. So, you know, if a method takes more than 10 seconds to do, you know, it's not my favorite method. So I like a lot of these 10, 10 second methods or one minute methods that really can tune you into channel one very quickly. Yeah, and of course, we can't go into all the um, methods that you talk about in the book, but one of them that you talked about, uh, which is also discussed in the Finders course, was one of my favorites, which is, I guess we can call it the Lester Love Technique. Yeah. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I have a funny story about it, too. Oh, good. I, I mean, basically, the Lester Love Technique is you make a list of everybody who's been you can remember in your life or everybody that you've had some kind of good connection, boyfriends, girlfriends, family members, friends, you know, your, your sixth grade teacher, whatever it is. And then you, you take like a minute for each person and you focus on what you love or appreciate about them. And then you go on to the next person and you, you get a momentum of this feeling of love. And to spend half to spend a minute in love is powerful. To spend an hour in love is friggin' amazing. You know, um, I once got my my brainwaves tested while doing this meditation, and this is a woman who has done brainwaves for you know all the monks and yogis in India. And when she did it while I was in this loving meditation, she said, "Oh, my machine must be broken." And I I'm in bliss. I go, "Well, what's the problem?" She said. You couldn't possibly have these brainwaves. These are the brainwaves of the Dalai Lama, you know. And I said, well, I'm feeling like a lot of love and bliss right now. And it ends up her machine wasn't broken. It was really that my brainwaves were putting out all this 
what's called enlightened brainwaves. When I did any other meditation, she said, oh, I guess maybe the machine's not broken because here it looks like you're a mess. <laughs> when you do that meditation, it doesn't do anything. But when you do this meditation, my God, you should see what's going on with this machine. So, you know, that that type of external feedback can be useful and, and helpful to know what works for you. Yeah. Oh, and just just in case our, our listeners don't know about it, why is it called the Lester Love Technique? Because it was really invented by a guy named Lester Levinson, who had had a heart attack, was given a week left to live at age 45. And so he decided that he'd focus on you know everybody that he'd ever loved just before he died. And ends up, as he did this, it healed him. He lived another 40 years, ended up teaching what was called the Sedona Method to millions of people. And it's an amazing story. I mean, within a week of being, or within a month of being told that he had a week left to live, he was running 20 miles a day and had so much energy, he couldn't sleep. So, you know, we, we don't always remember that there's a, an X factor to a lot of spiritual ideas and methods. That there is crazy forces out there that sometimes just say, Brian O'Connor, you're enlightened now, you know, as you're walking up to the bus or, or send you a lot of juice or, you know, Holy Spirit or all these different things. There's a lot of mystery out there, a lot of magic. And, and obviously Lester tuned, tuned into that magic. And I share a lot of stories in the Enlightenment Project book about my encounters with gurus who would show me magic and miracles. Because I think we have to remember in this day and age that, you know, we have our problems and our finances and all the stuff we get on the news. But we're spinning through outer space at 70,000 miles an hour on this rock in an infinite, I mean, literally infinite sea of energy. And things are weird. And there's magic. And the, and I believe that we're all on a hero's journey of trying to become more enlightened. That's what the most enlightened people say. When I ask them what the purpose of human life is, they say, basically, you're, you're, you're on a multi-lifetime journey to become more awake and more enlightened. And um, the technology for doing that with these little methods and ideas is definitely improving. And apart from the little methods and ideas, which, by the way, I agree with you, I love the five-second methods that just pop you into it right there at any, at any time during the day. But one of the methods that most spiritual teachers and leaders uh, recommend is meditation. And you go into meditation quite a bit on your book, and you talk about I think an excellent definition of it by Ajashanti. And you also have a series of phrases of your own that describe it. Yeah, and uh, maybe we'll do that at the end as a, a little meditation. And it's a method from the finder's course of trying to describe what awareness is. And, you know, it's interesting. I can give this to people who have never meditated. And I'll say, fill in the sentence, awareness is or love is, and just go back and forth describing it. And soon you end up being in pure awareness or you end up being in pure love. 
And what's a better way to spend five or 10 minutes than to join with somebody else and, and catapult each other into higher states of consciousness and love and peace? You know, it doesn't take a long meditation retreat. It doesn't take going to India. It's really pretty accessible now if you know the right ideas and methods. Yeah, and some people talk about meditation as, um, I mean, there's various, many different meditations, meditation on your own, meditation with two people together, um, guided meditations as well. Um, one of my favorite definitions is pretty much sitting and not doing anything to change your experience. Mm -hmm. That seems to be one of the best, but there are many, many others. Um, how, what do you think about that method as compared to, or what do you think about comparing all the different ways of, you know, meditating alone, in silence, guided meditations at retreats, et cetera? Well, I think it depends on where you are in, in how long you've been meditating. If you're new to it, I say, find something that works for you, feels good. That way you'll stay with it. You know, on our website, awarenessexplorer.com, we have a hundred guided meditations. They're all free, you know, and you can find one or two or 10 or 20 that work for you. And that's a good way to start. You know, after a while, you then say, well, am I growing through this meditation technique? So I used to do mantra meditation. And then I realized, you know, I have a really good mind, but my heart could really use some more opening or my body, I need to be more in my body. And so I started to do more heart and body meditations. So, you know, meditation isn't one thing. There's a big difference between potato chips and broccoli when it comes to food. They both have the definition of food, but sometimes you want something that's easy and feels good right away. And sometimes you want something that is gonna serve your body more in the long run, but it's kind of you know, not that fun when you're eating it or, or using it. Well, I guess there's many different types of potato chip meditations and broccoli meditations. And exactly. I, I happen to be lucky, I, I like broccoli. Um, I like potato chips too, but I eat more broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. But one thing that I noticed you talk about, and I know that you focused on this as long as I've known you, is bringing meditation and bringing any kind of spiritual awakening into everyday life, that it's not just about what happens on the cushion or in the meditation room or in your chair. It's really the rubber hits the road in how you live your life, how you interact with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, luckily I had a teacher that focused on that, you know, and if you can make use of your daily life for learning, for becoming a better human being in specific ways, uh, or for becoming more enlightened, you know, that gives you 23 more hours or 15 more hours or whatever it is than just the time you spend on a meditation cushion. And there's not a lot of information about that. So I have chapters in the Enlightenment Project book uh, that talk about how to make use of relationships, how to make use of jobs, how to make use of dealing with money, and how to, how to, make use of living in your body, you know, or having pain in your body. These are all really important subjects because they're not well explored. And 
we need to embody our higher consciousness. You know, it doesn't do much good if you can be in bliss and then, you know, when you're out of meditation, you're a jerk or you're overwhelmed. So integrating that is really important. And in America, we kind of compartmentalize our spirituality to the meditation cushion or, you know, the the couple hours a week of church or something. And I think that that we need to take the next step. Yeah, and something else you mentioned uh, in this last response was the body, and you talk about that in the book, and and that's something that seems to be coming more and more into focus among spiritual teachers these days, is that, yes, we do want to drop out of our heads and into our heart, but that a lot of our uh, conditioning is still there in the body, and sometimes we don't want to just ignore the body or 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 wish it wasn't there, or just say, I am not the body, and then forget about it. Yeah, and, you know, I did the uh, 40 interviews of spiritual leaders back in 1993 for a book, and and now we do a lot of spiritual leaders on the podcast, and so many of them have focused much more on the body, you know, which is, I think, great. There's trauma that's held in the body, there's tension that's held in the body, so there's a lot of ways to work with the body, I give a, a bunch of methods that have really made a difference in my body. You know, I'm 62, but I'm probably in the best shape I've ever been because I'm more embodying all these different practices and it feels really good. So um, the technology of spirituality is always increasing, just like all other technologies. And in the last 30 years, I see there's been much more of a movement of how to work with the body in a way that leads to more awakening, more embodying uh, your consciousness. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's very well observed. I've, I've certainly noticed that, and it certainly made a change for me. And there are actually some really great methods that I learned from uh, finders course about body scanning and just looking in your body and just just noticing it because the thing about your body is that it's now if you notice the sensations that are appearing they're not appearing yesterday they're not appearing tomorrow they're appearing now and i think it's one of the best ways to drop into the now yeah and you know a lot of things follow your intention so if your intention is to be more embodied, then you'll probably do that. But I also talk about the power of intention, because normally in America, at least, and for me, the intention is often efficiency. You know, how can I get something done quicker? Or how can I make more money quicker? And our intention is not usually so much based on how can I be in my body more? Or how can I be more open to learning or more, more loving? Uh, one story I share in, in the book is um, I used to lead an inspiring movie group, which had like a 30 people in it. And each week I would share a inspiring movie. You know, it might be Schindler's List or one week it was I wanted to show the movie Gandhi. But I wasn't going to be there. So I gave what I thought was the movie Gandhi to a friend to show at this movie group. And the movie that was actually in the DVD sleeve was the movie Men in Black 2. 
Have you ever seen Men in Black 2? <laughs> no, I avoided that one. Yeah, Although I loved Men in Black 1. And Men in Black 3 was pretty good. But Men in Black 2 was blasted by critics and audiences as being really bad. And um, what was funny is after people would watch these movies, I tell them to write a page about what they learned and what inspired them from the movie. So they've had 20 weeks of watching these incredible movies and being very inspired. And then they are, are presented with Men in Black 2. And what was hysterical was that they all wrote how amazing and inspiring this movie was. One of the worst movies of all time. Will Smith actually said, this movie is so bad, you shouldn't watch it. That's how bad that movie was. And um, so, but their intention was to look for what's profound and transformative in a movie. And they found it because that's what their intention was. And when your intention is to be in your body, you'll be in your body. When your intention is to get things done, you'll get things done. When your intention is to awaken, and that's a, then you surround yourself with podcasts or like this or the book or other books, and things slowly move in that direction. And I think, uh, you know, congratulations to people listening to this podcast, because obviously you have realized that there's a limit to channel two. And that if you ever want to really be happy, it's going to be found by integrating channel one and the peace and love inside of us into your life. That's a great story. And I can't resist one of the other stories that you tell in the book. One of my favorites is the one about Joe and his wife and the messy house. I was wondering <laughs> if you could, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, I don't even know if I've ever told this story before on the podcast. I don't think so. So um, I had this uh, uh, agent who uh, used to be my agent, and he uh, claimed, and I believed him, had awakened. Uh, they lived in a state of total peace and connection with what he called God. And, and uh, one day he came over to my, uh, I came over to his house. And when I went into his house, I noticed that it was like, you know, I'm not a neat person, but this was way beyond the pale. This was like, I could not live in this squalor. And then as I go through his kitchen, it was even worse, like dishes piled up a foot high that hadn't been cleaned in months. And his wife, who was in the living room watching Jeopardy, was smoking a cigarette. And it looked like a different type of household than I would have expected. So in his office, he said, I, I bet you're wondering why my house is such a mess. And I said, well, yeah, you must be psychic. And he laughed. And he said, well, it's an interesting story. Um, a bunch of years ago, I was thinking of leaving my wife and, and kids, but I decided I would surrender to God to see what I should do. And I completely said, God, you know, I'll do whatever you, you suggest. And to his amazement, his consciousness shifted. He went into a state of bliss and realized that as long as he surrendered to what is, he would stay in this blissful, peaceful place. So he is living with a wife that has no interest in what he's doing in, in a dirty place. And, that, and he's totally fine with it. 
as long as he allows them, his wife and his kids to be who they are and the, the messiness to be there, he's in a state of complete peace. And, you know, we all have struggles with children or bosses or kids. And I always remember the story, like if you can find peace in his household with all that mess, then you should be able to find peace with the small inconveniences most of us face. Well, it's an amazing trade-off that most of us are probably not willing to make. Giving up the idea that other people should be anything other than the way they are, and in return, bliss, happiness, joy. Yeah, that's a pretty good trade-off if you, you know, if if it was that clear to us. And and if you've ever had moments, as I'm sure you have, where you just kind of let go of resisting what is. You let go of having to have your judgments about somebody, you know, and you're just like, okay, there, eh, they'll do what they do. You know, in that moment, you immediately feel more peace. So it's really, there are methods that help, but the attitude of like, I'm just going to allow what is here's the instant. I'm going to give people the instant peace technique. Are you ready? Oh yeah. Whatever is happening in your life, root for it to go that way. Ha <laughs> But we do the opposite, Absolutely. and it doesn't really do much good. No, and that's uh, and that sounds so easy, and it's really tough to root for things to go that way. But I, I found from experience that it really works. And and in the story of Joe and his wife of allowing his wife to be exactly as she is, I also found that the same applies to myself. Allowing myself, the Brian character, to be exactly as he is, brings a great deal of happiness and, and joy, as opposed to my old idea that I was fundamentally flawed and needed to be fixed somehow. Yeah. At the very least, it makes you suffer a lot less. <laughs> Suffering less is good. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, these these stories and and these ideas that you you talk about in the book are all uh, um, very entertaining and fun, but also very useful. It's kind of like a one-stop shopping for uh, all your spiritual needs. I know that does sound very commercial, but I, I think it's such a good description of the book. Yeah, that's actually how De Jeffrey Martin, who did the forward to the book, the, the guy who led the finders course, how he described it. Oh, and, yeah. I um, thought it was original, but I, <laughs> but you're right. I read it. <laughs> you know, we're all so busy and distracted nowadays that we need, you know, really practical information. Plus, you want it to be entertaining as well. So that's what I tried to do. And my hope is that by putting kind of the greatest hits of the stories of all the people I've met and the greatest hits of the methods, that people get the book and really be impacted by it. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that it covers all bases is actually embodied in a quote that you mentioned from Ken Wilber. I don't remember the exact quote, but it's sort of about waking up, growing up, showing up. Yeah, yeah. We want, you know, waking up is a first step, but then you have to embody it. So it's, it's uh, a sense of growing up, you know, becoming a mature human being in the world, and then showing up, meaning take your gifts into the world 
and do something with them. You know, the world's in pretty bad shape. And to the extent that you can tap into love and peace, you're a better vehicle for helping yourself, the people you care about, and the world. Yeah, that's very good. I think that uh, all of those are important. And it's sort of good to remember. I mean, a lot of people say that waking up is really the first step in the embodiment process, how you can how you can bring it into your life and your interaction with others. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's why we have the podcast. That's why, um, you know, the world's not going to get better until people's state of consciousness gets better. You know, it's a fundamental thing. You need, you need, you know, Einstein said, you can't solve problems on at the level. What, do you know this quote? It's a good quote. Yeah. Problems can't be solved at the level with which they are created, or something. I you know that's that's the basic idea. It's not the exact yeah, quote. Yeah, you know, and there are times where you know I've been lost in a problem. I'm trying to solve it. I'm in that hole, and then you know I I meditate or I take a vacation or I use some technique that gets me into a higher consciousness, and then the answer to the problem is obvious. Uh, but a lot of these problems can't be solved with the level of mind that we are often stuck in. So another hope has been that the Enlightenment Project book will help people get to their next level. You know, John Gray, I liked what he said, the author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. He said, this book will inspire you and support you to take the next step in your journey of enlightenment. It's fun surprising, informative, and a real page turner. And I really appreciate that because some spiritual books are a little bit dry. Um, whereas this one is, is I think, pretty fun to read. It is fun to read. It's pretty juicy. And it's got a lot of good tips. And one of the, when you were just talking about something reminded me of one of my favorite analogies you have and how people can get so wrapped up in the solving of their problems that they miss the bigger picture. And you, the analogy was the one of the um, black dot on the, on the white paper. Yeah. I love that analogy. Uh, I'll actually create it right now, but imagine a, a small black dot on a white piece of paper, you know, like this. Um, and that black dot represents your biggest problem right now. Well, most people have a relationship with that black dot uh, with their biggest problem that could be said to be like putting their eyeball right on that black dot and saying, oh, my God, there's nothing but darkness as far as I can see. It's just black and, and looks dark forever. Well, if your eyeball is on that black dot, you don't see that it's on a white screen or on the screen of awareness. And to some extent, we all are are trying to become aware of something other than what our mind focuses on all the time, which is usually our problems. That's right. It really is. Uh, and when we focus on that, it's practically always about the past or the future. It's hardly ever about the present. Yeah. Usually there's not that much going on in the present. You know, you're breathing, you're sitting, you might be blabbing some words, but life in in a present by present moment 
is pretty peaceful. And, you know, I, uh, I have some phrases in the book that help me to establish instant perspective. Like, for example, one that I'm using is this moment is the most important moment of my life. And in a way, it's always true because you're in this moment. The, the moments in the past, you know, they're just a memory. The moments in the future haven't happened. So this moment is the most important moment. And when you have the attitude like, wow, this is it, then you become more present, you become more open to the magic that's really always here. Yeah, well, that's what I like about the book, because there's so many practical little things like that, that you can grasp right away. Like you can grasp that concept and use it immediately and apply it many times throughout your day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I knew there'd be an advantage for me being so lazy that, that God has used my laziness to find the simplest, easiest ways to tap into something better. Well, I am too. And uh, I used to despair that I didn't have the discipline to follow the really difficult, ascetic, is that the right word, paths of, uh, of um, you know, giving up stuff and uh, meditating for hours and hours a day. And I used to I used to despair that, well, I'm not, I'm just simply not that kind of person other people seem to be, and they're the ones who get there. But this is not the same paradigm as getting skilled at something in the material world. This is totally different. This is something that can be known immediately, right now, at any time, and only now. And the whole idea that there's something that you can do that's going to build up over time and get you there in the future is actually an obstacle. Yeah, or it can be an obstacle. You know, and there's also the point of view that sometimes it's you know good to focus on disciplines for a number of years so you get better at them. And, you know, it, it goes back to the two-wing analogy that one wing is just be more present now using whatever way you know how. And the other way is it is helpful to have certain ideas or certain disciplines that might move you along in a beneficial way over a period of time. And usually people are very focused on one or the other of those wings. And no matter how strong one wing is, a plane with one wing is going to crash eventually. So it's good to, to balance those things out. And it took me a while to learn that. One other thing that you talked about in the book that I really was moved by was you, you described a partner exercise um, and, and uh, where people are, where one person is asking partner A and partner B and partner A is asking, I believe the question is who or what are you? Is that correct? Yeah, it's who or what are you? And then the question, if you that were taken away, who or what would you be? So it's kind of the netty process done in a partnership. And I find that, you know, some of these newer methods, some of these methods have been invented in the last 10 years, mm -hmm. that they work surprisingly well for a lot of people. And uh, it's a fun thing to do with a partner. And maybe in five minutes, you're both 
taken out of the, the gunk of news and problems and plans and relationships and mind stuff and into the wondrous presence of our true nature. And what a gift to give to people. Yeah, and I love the way it ended in, in the description of it in your book, because once you take away every idea of what you are, you're left with infinite space. Yeah, or you're left with whatever, however you describe that experience, people describe it in different ways and people tap in in different ways. But it's nice to let go of these things we're kind of glommed onto that really aren't our true nature and they become like a burden to us. Yeah. Now, we usually uh, end each of our podcasts or most of them with a guided meditation. And, and I had an idea. I was wondering if you'd be willing to do this. You have a uh, section in the book where you, where you list 20 awareness is phrases. And I was wondering, I thought that would make a wonderful guided meditation. Is that something that you think would be sure. cool to do? Great. I'd be happy to do. Let me, you know, people can get the first couple chapters of the book for free, plus a um, guided meditation on what I considered the five quickest ways to awaken, uh, a guided meditation at my website, which is theenlightenmentproject.net. So, you know, you put in your email address and you get those downloads for free. And you can also learn about the book. And, and there's a lot of free resources on that website, theenlightenmentproject.net. Wow. And I hope people get the book, which is available on Amazon and Kindle and is going, I think by the time people hear this, it'll also be available as an audiobook, which you're editing. And I appreciate that. <laughs> yes, and I'm enjoying <laughs> Enjoying doing that as well. Yeah. Um, and before we do the guided meditation, uh, I, I probably should ask if there's something that you feel we haven't touched on that you think would be other than, uh, you know, your website and everything that uh, you'd love to have our listeners to know. Well, one chapter in the book, which is interesting, is, is all about the myths of enlightenment. I think a lot of people miss the little enlightenment moments because they have some idea or belief that is actually counter to enlightenment. And once people see that those myths really aren't true, it actually gives them more access to noticing moments, brief moments of awakening in their daily life. So that's, you know, one of 18 chapters. But, uh, you know, I think there's enough in that book, really, for anyone to say, wow, that was something that was very helpful. So I think we covered a lot of stuff. And, um, you know, by downloading the first couple chapters, people get a better sense of the book or they can just get the book. It's, I think, 15 bucks at Amazon or five or six bucks on Kindle. Sounds great. So uh, we should probably jump into the, uh, the 20 awareness is phrases. Yeah. So what this, what this is, is um, phrases that can point you to what awareness is. And you can do this with a friend, or you can just listen to this recording and hopefully, like a finger pointing to the moon, you get pointed in the direction of your own true nature, which is awareness. So after each of these statements, I'm going to pause for maybe five, seven seconds, and your mission is to 
try to access what it's pointing to. So we'll begin with awareness is the passive collection of all my senses. Awareness is the effortless receiving of sound, sights, thoughts, and emotions. Awareness is seeing and being without the filter of the ego. Once again, after each one, try to access what the statement is pointing to. Awareness is seeing and being without the filter of the ego. Awareness is the hum of silence underneath your thoughts. Awareness is what witnesses your thinking without any judgment. Awareness notices what happens to you before the judgmental mind interprets things. Awareness only exists in the present moment. You can't grasp it. Awareness is a shift in identity from wave to ocean. Awareness is what's left when you stop identifying with your ego, your thoughts, or what role you're playing. Awareness is something you relax or let go into. Awareness is the screen on which your life is projected. Awareness is the full allowing of exactly what is happening in this moment. Awareness has no preferences. It has no judgment of what's good or bad or right or wrong. Awareness is unconditional love of what is. Awareness is what's left when there is a complete lack of resistance to this moment. Awareness 
is the vibrating energy that animates all of life. Awareness is stepping out of a sense of being in a moving river of time and into an eternal ocean of stillness. Awareness is like a mirror that reflects whatever is in front of it. And lastly, awareness is like a portal to an ocean of love, bliss, and oneness. And slowly, if your eyes were closed, feel free to open them and try to maintain some awareness of awareness as you go about your day. Oh, thank you so much. That was lovely. And it occurred to me that in addition to listening to this as a guided meditation, you could take each of those phrases and maybe for 20 days, just meditate on one of them. Yeah. For 20 minutes, half hour, an hour, because they each one hold the depth of wisdom. Yeah. And, you know, being able to be deliberate about these things really helps. One of the chapters in the Enlightenment Project uh, book is about motivation, how to maintain motivation towards using techniques and using your goals. I'm proud of that chapter because you don't get that in many books. Like, what are the methods to stay motivated over a long period of time? And uh, I think that's a really important ingredient as well. Indeed it is, yeah. Well, thank you, Jonathan. This has been so much fun talking with you about your book. I really enjoyed it. As always, Brian, I love it. And I hope people will check out the book and review it and tell other people about it because uh, I think everybody's really on a hero's journey of going from a life of ego to a life of more living spirit. And the website again is theenlightenmentproject.net. Great. And speaking of websites, uh, you know, our podcast is free and all the guided meditations are free on our website, but it does cost money to put on. So don't forget to, if you'd like to support us, go to patreon.com forward slash awareness explorers and uh, you'll help us out. Yep. And you'll help yourself out by, and your loved ones out by always keeping exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends, because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.